Exploring what can be done to help with pain and health challenges. This is Life Shouldn't Hurt with Grand Fedoric from Leading Edge Physiotherapy on 630 Ched. Welcome to Life Shouldn't Hurt. I'm your host, Grand Fedoric, and for the next 30 minutes, I have the privilege of listening to and sharing some amazing, very real life stories about lifestyle, health, and well being with all of you amazing people and speaking about topics to touch touch on, maybe a little bit of a tougher one. And uh, this is a disclaimer for those that this is going to be a sensitive topic that can have triggers and it makes some people feel a bit emotional, uh, but it's something that needs to be talked about. And I think it's very important for us to have these conversations because this is something that we should be all talking about with one another. And in this case, we're going to talk about medically assisted death and uh, made. And our guest today, somebody known to many, I'm learning, Kristen Raworth. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Kristen. And thank you for having me. I can't wait uh, to hear your story because it's a it's an amazing story. I'll use that word a lot because the guests we have. But I'm gonna I'm, I would love you just to start uh, introducing the topic for us a little bit and what brought you to this uh, this opportunity. So uh, in December of 2021, uh, my stepmother passed away uh, using medical assistance and dying. Uh, I will back up uh, after that. Uh, basically, what had happened is about 10 years earlier, she started to feel what she referred to as a helmet on her head. Mm-hmm. That's how she would talk about it. She felt a toughness and a, and a sort of a pressure on her head and that was the beginning of it she'd suffered from anxiety and depression pretty much my entire life so the doctors as unfortunately is often the case with female uh patients they really chalked all that down to anxiety and depression so they also believed at the time that potentially her antidepressants weren't working or her anxiety medication wasn't working anymore they weren't listening to her it's not uncommon. And no. I, I faced something like that as well with my dad who had an anxiety disorder and very similar, very most times. So those listening, if you've got something going on, don't let it just get chalked up to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if there's some, be, be, be persistent for yourself. Yeah. And we also struggled a little bit in terms of our ability to advocate because my stepmother's first language was not English. Okay. So her first language was French and that made it a little bit more difficult as well because finding francophone doctors is not the easiest thing, even though we are, you know, a dual language country. Uh, It's not always the easiest thing. So that was also uh, part of the problem. Uh, So this consist continued on and she was having mobility issues, um, wild mood swings. And so briefly she was hospitalized and actually given shock treatment because the idea was that that, 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 because what she was maybe having was... um, I can't remember the exact term when your depression can't actually be solved by medication. So that was what they thought it might have been. Mm-hmm. When in fact the entire time what it what it was was Parkinson's and a specific form of Parkinson's called multiple system atrophy. Yep. Multiple system atrophy is quite rare, mm-hmm. uh, but it is in a very intense, very quick acting part of Parkinson's. Yeah. Uh, so we eventually, about four years ago, realized that that's what it was. Um, cause the doctors started, re- started like looking at it a little bit more. And then finally we were actually referred to the Parkinson's clinic. This was right at the beginning of COVID. And so we were able to actually go to the Parkinson's clinic and get her diagnosed with, with MSA. At that point, um, 
she was still functioning, but it was it was getting harder and harder. Um, and then it really all kind of started snowballing in July of 2021 where she was falling. She was obviously having an issue with speech. Uh, like I said earlier, French was her first language. And so she actually kind of started to forget English. She wasn't able to communicate in English. Her uh, memory was really bad. It was getting worse and bad. She couldn't remember our old dog who had passed away. Like they, they, my parents had had for like 15 years. She couldn't remember him, things like that. Um, so in July of 2021, um, my family all got together to talk about made as an option because at that point um, it was something that, you know, we knew that the end uh, as it is with MSA is not yep. something that is very pleasant. I mean, the, the number one cause of death with someone who has MSA is actually choking. Mm -hmm. So we started to have that conversation and I just want to emphasize for people who haven't been, who haven't been through it that, just because you make that decision to go forward with the application, A, doesn't mean you'll be accepted. Right. And B, it's not something you need to do immediately. Like, it's not like there's a timeline. It's not like you, you're you forced. It's sort of just there is something if you need it as an option once you've been approved. Yeah. So we started the process in July of 2021. She was approved in November of 2021. By the time that she was approved, it started to get worse. Um her mobility, especially at that point, she was basically in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. um, she could walk, but really she, she shouldn't have, cause she was very, very wobbly. Yeah. Um, and then she fell one night. She tried to get up in the middle of the night and she fell and she actually fell on the bed frame and she had a black eye and she'd really hurt herself. And, at that point, we started to say, okay, well, maybe we should start looking at, at extended care and what right. that could look like. Um, but that was also very difficult because there were certain things that, you know, for my parents, my parents had never been apart. Like they were married for 33 years, mm -hmm. but they had known each other for 60. Um, they'd been like the, the, for her, it would have been almost torture, more torture to be away from my father. Right. And away from the things that she liked and the things she wanted to do, especially because it's very difficult to find a francophone extended care facility. Yep. Um, so, but that was still something that we needed to look at. Uh, she was getting care. Uh, people were coming in to take care of her um, for about an hour, two hours a day, helping her bathe and things like that. Um, so we were sort of just looking at different options. And then one day um, I was working. This was obviously like while I was at the time I was a government of Alberta employee. So I was working at home because we were still mandated to be at home. Yep. And I got a phone call from my dad and he said, the police are here and I need you to come, come home. I need you to come over because my stepmother had told her uh, health helpers that she was afraid of my father. Yeah. Because at that point, um, he was having to restrain her from getting up because she would fall. Right. Um, so by the time I got there, uh, the, the police had left. I'd spoken to them on the phone and sort of assured them, like, no, like the bruises are from the fall and, and you know, there's nothing negative going on in the home. Right. But it was clear that mentally her capacity was slipping. And at that point, you know, you, you aren't able to do... Um, an advanced directive as it relates to MAID. So you need to be cognitively aware of what you are uh, consenting to at the time that you receive it. Yeah. So we were in a position at this point where it was becoming very clear that that ability to cognitively consent and actively consent was definitely slipping away. And so the next day, 
they talked to the doctors and um, about four days later, the decision was made that it would be December 2nd, 2021 at 3 p.m. And of course, that's emblazoned, I'm sure. Um, The conversation, thank you for sharing this information because it's, it needs to be talked about. Now, who in the, who in the team, who in your family was getting together to have these conversations and how hard was that? So for the most part, in terms of, of care, it was me um, because this was obviously during, like during the, the, height of the pandemic yeah, not easy to get people to well, and, no and my sister my sister lives lives in Yellowknife okay uh, so she my oldest sister lives in Yellowknife but also you couldn't you weren't allowed to even socialize at a certain point so my right. my dad and my stepmom were actually like my bubble people so okay. I was with them pretty much constantly mm-hmm. um but like why we would all be involved but my sister would fly in and fly out when she could when we were able to when that was actually an option obviously once um, the vaccine came into the picture and made things a lot easier in terms of us being able to travel and yep. and be close. My sister coordinated a lot of it. Um, and was sort of the point person with the doctors and stuff like that. My dad was also heavily involved, but it, for the most part, yeah, it was my sister and I, which unfortunately, um, as I think a lot of people know, a lot of times it's the girls who take up that emotional labor in situations like that. Yeah, and which is definitely the case in a lot of times. We're talking with... Kristen Raworth, and we're just going to have to cut to a break. But when we come back, I think it's really important that we get into talking about what that process looks like for those listening and maybe get into some of the different issues that might come up around medical assistance in dying made. And it's a topic on the news a lot, but one that could touch home for many people listening today. So stay tuned. Come right back. We'll be right back on the Chorus Radio Network. Exploring what can be done to help with pain and health challenges. This is Life Shouldn't Hurt with Grand Fedoric from Leading Edge Physiotherapy on 630 Ched. Thanks for joining us today on Life Shouldn't Hurt, and sometimes it does. And in the case of this conversation today, I am so lucky to be joined by Kristen Raworth, who is sharing her story about going through the process with a loved one, uh, in this case, uh, somebody very dear. And going through it in the conversation is around medical assistance in dying. Kristen, the story takes us to this place that nobody wants to get, mm-hmm. obviously. We, nobody wants to find themselves in this situation. But there's something we all have in common, and that's we're all one day going to face yeah. this choice in life. and Or not, we're all going to die, but sometimes it could be a choice. When it gets there, what's that process? We, Canada now has this made. Mm-hmm. And what's that process? Describe the process for you that you guys went through. So uh, you have to go to two separate doctors. Uh, as it as it was at the time that we went through the process, death has to be imminent. So that is a very important uh, qualifier, that it is imminent and that the quality of life is not going to improve. Right. So with MSA, you know, it, it, it was, I guess, imminent, but I mean, in terms of the quality of life and her ability to function, it was, it was awful. 
So we had to have two doctors do that as well as a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, pr- one of the biggest things that they did throughout the process, and I'll, I'll get into this probably in a little bit in terms of the actual day of, um, but active consent is required throughout the process and yeah. active consent for the patient when they are alone. So this, you know, um, white- taking all of the pressure off for somebody making the decision, yes. feeling like yes. they're making it easier on their loved ones yeah. or their family, and, yes. which makes sense. Yeah, and we were fortunate yeah. that our family doctor uh, or my parents' family doctor is francophone. Okay. And so he uh, was able to also be, a, he was very, like, a huge part of this for us and so helpful in terms of getting this expedited after my stepmother clearly was cognitively declining. Yeah. Um, but also to be there for her in her own language, which was really important and is a privilege and a benefit that not a lot of people uh, get in, in a country like ours where so many people speak different languages and accessing right. medical care in your own language is not always that easy. So we were very fortunate for that. Um, and then it goes to a committee in terms of them deciding whether or not this is a, this is an appropriate step. So like I said, we began the process in July and it was finalized in November. And at that point, it just kind of sits there. And it's something that you can choose to access when you need to as you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, the day of what happened, we were very, you know, in a way as, as heartbreaking as it is to lose a parent, you know, I have friends who've lost parents very suddenly Yeah, and, um, I feel very blessed that I got like a week cause I lived with my parents for the week leading into when my stepmother passed away Yeah, and I was able to be with her every day and really take, um, joy in the moments that I got with her and comfort in those moments and being able to actually really, um, for all of us, uh, to appreciate those moments and those final moments of all of us being together. Really take advantage of those moments. And yeah, uh, yeah my my dad was diagnosed and I had 10 years and everybody would say, well, it, you know, especially toward the end, we mm-hmm. knew it was coming, but at least I knew, you know, it was yep. one of those things, at least I, I knew I had a, this window of time to spend and really appreciate. Yeah. And if I knew it was only a week, let me tell you, I would be so appreciative of that week. Yeah. I get where you're coming from. Absolutely. And, yeah. and but it also feels so surreal. Like right. it's such a strange thing to go through. And, you know, uh, I'm the only one of my friends, uh, knock on wood, uh, so far who's had to experience that. And so, you know, talking to them and sort of, you know, they're them trying to be supportive, but like not even really knowing how to, how to approach it. Like, right. You know, how do you text someone on the day that you know that their parent is dying and being like, yeah. thinking of you? Like, it's just, it's a very strange thing. And My it, text message is, this sucks. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. Know, there's, there's nothing good I can say. I and, just know I'm on the other side of this. Yeah, yeah. and um, and so that day, uh, we, you know, when my sister and I were both staying with my parents and we'd been getting up, like my, my stepmom would get up about seven, eight times in the middle of the night. So we were trying to help, like, make sure my dad was sleeping. So we would get up with her. And I woke up at, like, 5.30 in the morning and I couldn't sleep. So I went back to my apartment to change and kind of take as much as I could, like, kind of some time for myself. And then everything was like a whirlwind after that. You know, you have to buy food because, of course, again, we're francophones. We're all sitting around eating a hell of a lot of – I'm sorry, I don't know if I can say hell on your show. It's okay with this topic. Uh, But a lot of cheese and a lot of meat and there was a lot of wine. So we were all sort of like preparing. And it was weird because in some ways it felt like a a, a normal family gathering. Like all my siblings, my dad, my stepmom, myself, um, my nephew came as well. 
and just surrounded by food and wine. And it just felt like for those moments, like it's something like we would do every day, well, not every day, not, uh, but you know, every weekend. And then the doctor came and the do- the maid doctor obviously is a separate doctor from the doctors that we had worked with before. And he yeah. comes with a nurse. So the nurse goes into the room with my stepmother to get again, active consent and everybody mm-hmm. had to leave the room. Um, and then he starts laying out the needles and explaining the process to us. Okay. So the first uh, needle that he uh, injects her with will put her to sleep. We're talking about medically assisted. Medical, put my stepmother. Well, put dying. my yeah, yeah. medical assistance. And I know it sounds it sounds like you're I'm describing an experience for an animal. Yeah. But it's funny because I remember thinking throughout this whole process, you know how. 10, 15 years ago, like, you know, when my mom put down our cat, like right. it's the most loving thing you can do for, for something, so, someone that you love who's in pain yeah. and we didn't have access to that. Right. So anyway, they, they, that happens. And then the second one is, is the one that, that is, yep. um, that's the final needle. And so he's laying all these out and then there are others afterwards, but I don't remember what they do. Cause my brain kind of kind of doesn't really process it after that. Yeah. And so he's he's standing there, and it's so such a surreal moment. We're all kind of standing around, don't really know what to say, don't really know what to do. Like he's just like putting these needles out, and right. And then my stepmom is lying in the bed, and she's like, "What's taking so long?" <laughs> Some levity in the situation. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the room was a yeah. little lighted. She was, you know, I mean, you know, she's yeah. a French woman. She's very impatient. <laughs> um, because she was just she wanted this very badly, and yeah. I think it's the biggest most ferocious act of love that we could have done to to do that for her yeah um for someone who was such so independent so fierce so just such a passionate intense woman right and to be in a position where all of that was stripped away from her and this was the one act of a personal agency that she had left was this decision to do this right and then we all went into the room and we held her hand and we played her Edith Piaf and we told her we loved her and within five minutes it was over. Now, fast forward today and you look back on this experience and knowing what you know now, having gone through everything, can you put it into perspective for people who are listening? You look back and say, we did this and it was the right decision. Mm -hmm. I... We talk, my dad and I talk about it quite a bit and and about the experience because, you know, he's British and his way of dealing with anything is jokes. And so he's always like, oh, one day you'll have to do this for me, Kristen. Uh, but I think that for all of us, we, we, we've we never once wavered on believing that it's correct. And I think one other thing I just wanted to highlight that I think is important um, is that we're Catholic, uh, we are a Catholic family. We had a priest come the day before my stepmother passed away. She had a religious funeral. Um, I'm not the best Catholic, but I am. And I don't believe that my faith is at odds with the decision that we made. My stepmother never believed that. My family doesn't believe that. Uh, our church doesn't believe that. And I think that that's a really important point to make because oftentimes when people talk about made the religious angle is brought in as, as reasons why people feel uncomfortable with it. And if someone personally doesn't want to make that decision because of their faith, that's their choice. But for me, my faith is about, about love and about comfort and about 
you know, uh, taking care of people and again, honoring people's personal agency and choice. And that to me is what we did. And so I feel very thankful that with my five siblings, four siblings, I always add myself in there. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not my own sibling. <laughs> the five of us that this, this has never been an issue between all of us. We, we've all knew that it was the right decision. We've all supported each other throughout it. My father, same thing. Like it's, it's been something that we have all, um, has brought us closer together in some ways. Well, thank you for being so articulate around such a tough topic and for helping us get the word about sharing these topics and being open to converse and talk openly about it because it's so important in people's lives because that's what the show is all about, mm -hmm. trying to make a difference and inspire and teach and share stories that people, these real human stories, and this is one that's touching people on a daily basis right here in our backyard. And I don't know that anybody could share it as clearly and compassionately and articulately as you did. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. And that's all we've got on Life Shouldn't Hurt, but sometimes it does. And when it does, sometimes these topics have to come up and need to be discussed. But until next week, I'm Grant Fedoric. I appreciate all of you, your time and trust. Thanks for your time, Kristen. Thank you for having me.